0: Father, we just come to you this evening once again for the hearing of the word of God. We pray that you speak to us, speak to us, Lord. Teach us, teach us, teach us, Lord. Because heaven and earth will pass away. And at the end, only your word will be there. And those who have endured till the very end, it's because they stood in faith. And faith alone, O God. So open our ears. That faith may arise in us, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen, Amen. Which Samuel Peter left it here. So we'll continue, or rather, like the stream of thought from where we stopped on Sunday, we see we looked at. The Lord speaking through events throughout history. There are no random events in the world. There are no accidents in this world. God is in absolute control. Scripture says not even a hair from our head. That's a detail in which everything is happening. Okay, so we need to be aware and our eyes and ears need to be open that God speaks to us. Even in the events that are happening through the word, through all of creation, our situations in our lives, circumstances, through it all, God is trying to speak to us. So this evening we'll first turn to the text that is from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared by an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Okay, so much of Sunday we looked at lot. But these are all incidents, not stories. Noah and the flood is not a Sunday school story. Okay, you need to realize it's a real event of incredible importance if you look at the amount of space devoted by God through his servant Moses in the account in Genesis. And the details. And the Bible is actually, when when God gives you details, specific details and space in his word, God is actually telling us, stand up and take notice. Like I keep telling, there are so many different people of faith in the Bible. Good people, bad people, all kinds of people in the Bible. When you read the book of Genesis and you see almost 12 chapters given to the life of Joseph, God is telling, stand up and take notice. Learn from his life in the same way. The Noah's account is very, very important. And uh, look at the way Jesus put it across. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37 and 38 (coughs) But as the days of Noah were, so also will be coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. So Jesus goes all the way to Noah's time and picks it and puts it, says the days will be like the days when I come back. Okay. In Luke chapter 17, You will see again Jesus speaking, And as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And no believing Christian will ever claim that Jesus did not believe in the flood. Okay, because there are a lot of theologians who go out of, they are not theologians actually. Okay, but they call themselves theologians and deny the flood and everything and Jesus. Okay, and uh, he's not even trying to create irrational fear. Actually, he used the stories of Noah and Lot as examples of how the last days will be and the judgment will be. Like. And one of the things which you look is that when the end comes, there is no warning. Everything looks normal. It's not like the, that's what I said. The, the coronavirus epidemic is only to prepare us for the end. It is not the end. Because when the end comes, only the prepared will know. Nobody will know. It just come like that. Okay, that's what he was talking about. So this epidemics is not the end. The epidemics and all these plagues and pestilences and wars and all is to prepare for the end. And we miss the signs, we miss the signifier. Okay, Peter, ref- look at how he referred to it in both his episodes in First Peter chapter three and verse twenty. Who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few that is, eight souls were saved through water. And in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse five, he will say, "And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of ungodly." And then we saw in Hebrews 11:7, where the writer of Hebrews will say about Noah, who was divinely warned, of things unseen. Okay, when he is living, humanity has not seen divine judgment upon the whole world. And we are living, we also haven't seen divine judgment on the entire world. Okay, so we see God judges the whole world, nations, families, individuals through the Bible. Okay, we will... We'll look at it probably on Saturday. Okay. But he also gives us in Noah's case, in this case, which is, which is all important because you look at one judgment and you can see pattern. Why he judges in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 11 to 12. The earth also was corrupt before God. Okay. There's a difference between corrupt before us and corrupt before God. We worry about corruption in the system because it doesn't help us. But we don't realize we could be equally corrupt in our dealings. So when the Bible says the earth was corrupt, it is not looking through man's eyes. It is looking through God's eyes. It was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. Okay, So we may be seeing Hyderabad as a relatively peaceful city. But God sees the violence in our hearts and our minds. So this is about God. This is not about how man looks. And he tells Noah in verse 13, that he going to put an end to all of them. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Okay. So God will also say, if I didn't give it to you, but if you go to Acts chapter 17, or and verse 30, 31, I can read it for you. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men, everywhere to repent why because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man that is jesus christ whom he has ordained and is given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead okay so god is telling us another day is appointed there is a day that is said so like i said god looks at the world and life differently not the way we look it's not the way we look okay like if you are a child let us say abigail his mommy says Justin says abigail come for dinner go wash your hands abigail just got it so she thinks her hand is washed but Justin says that's not proper just go wash it again now we all talk about washing hands because the virus has come okay but wash okay Now she goes and washes. So Abigail's idea of being clean and Justin's idea of being clean are completely different. But if you know doctors, especially surgeons, you know, surgeons, living with a surgeon, if you're the wife of a surgeon, <laughs> it's a terrible thing because, you know, they are like, they will scrub and scrub because they're going into an operation theater and they need to be sure absolutely nothing is there where they put the patient into danger. The way they scrub and scrub and scrub and dis what you in, disinfect their hands. So the way a child looks at your hand is clean, the mother looks at the hand is clean, the surgeon looks at his own hands are clean, are completely different. Though they are all talking about cleanliness. So when we talk about righteousness and holiness and all, don't look from man's eye view. Like I said, I love God. And I told you last week, that's not what God is talking about. Whether the love of God is in us or not. That's a different love altogether. Okay, It's absolutely. So our God before whom? Before whom? Absolutely spotless. Sinless. Holy angels cover their eyes and cry, holy, holy. Okay. Our God. Before whom? Cherubim, seraphims, even archangels, I believe. All of them. Absolutely spotless. Pure. Sinless. Holy angels cover their eyes. Okay. Cover their eyes and cry. So actually Habakkuk is actually confused. Why doesn't a God who is so holy... Deal with evil immediately in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? This is the prophet's confusion. He says, you are so pure, you cannot look at evil. And yet when the evil people are triumphing, you don't do anything. And we also know it is true in real life. Most sin, crime goes undetected and unpunished in this life. Right? Most criminals are never caught. Most thieves are never caught. No, most murderers are not caught. Most rapists are now caught. And most politicians are never caught. Most lawyers are never caught. You know? But God says there is a day set for it. That is why it's called the Day of Judgment. That's why His throne is called a great white throne. Because the white throne is denoting us the nature of judgment it will be. And you need to realize God is still judging. Judgment has never stopped. He's still judging. When God is silent, when God is silent, is also one of the ways God punishes wickedness. He is allowing it to multiply and destroy itself. This inaction of God is a manifestation of his judgment. What we call in theology is, it is actually the restraining grace of God being removed. And people don't realize it is judgment. Look at how God puts it across, Paul puts it across through God in Romans chapter 1. I'll just give three verses, Romans one twenty four. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. So when God gives somebody over to consistently to be unclean, he just removed his restraining hand and it, we don't realize it is judgment. Uncleanness. For even the natural the women exchange a natural use for what is against nature. If you look at if you look at the whole portion, it means now people are sinning with no guilt at all. And they don't realize it is judgment. The hand of God is taken away. He's silent. He's not doing anything. In verse 26, he says, For this reason God gave them up to the wild passions. He gave them up. It is judgment. No guilt, no remorse, nothing. Restraining grace has been removed. and Then you come to verse 28 to 31, scripture says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. He gave them over. The mind has been completely debased, made, made unclean. To do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteous, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, malishness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unphobic, unmerciful. And people don't realize when they become like this, that's your life. And There is no remorse. There is no guilt. Nothing. That itself is judgment. It's, it's judgment. And God judges the world. The whole world. Its judgment is taking place. Even now when we don't. The sensuality of the western world. The idolatry of the eastern world. And the brutality of the middle eastern world. It's God taking his hand off. Go your way. You don't want to listen to me. Go your way go your way. And one is not able to see the difference. That's where you have to realize the same eyes that looked upon the people of Noah's age and Lot's time in Sodom and Gomorrah are the same eyes that are looking at us. The eyes have never changed. Yet, when the time came and God arose in Noah's time, the judgment was complete. Complete. Okay? It was absolutely complete. Now, you look at the people of Noah's time. If you read the in in order in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 21, His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the harp and the flute. And the next verse. And as for Zilhah, she also brought to Balkan, instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And then Genesis 6-4, there were giants in the world of that. This is talking about Noah's age, the time in which Noah's people lived. So what is God saying? If you look at, it, you have music, you have industry, and you have giants. So they were incredibly musically talented, cultured people. You always associate music with culture. Not today's folk music. We are not talking about that. But music at the higher levels is always connected with a very sound ear and a sound mind and culture. Artisans. okay, Talented, cultured, industrious, connoisseurs of music and taste and, and giants of industry. That's what we call today industry giants in different different fields okay so that was noah's people but when the flood came there's nobody left meaning the judgment of god was complete he didn't look at the musical talent and said i need to i need to leave this guy alive so that he can bring piano music into the next creation and this guy is an industry giant okay he needs to start a few factories and then he didn't everybody was gone so these things ultimately don't matter. these things ultimately don't matter if we are not right with God. so the blood the the flood judgment of God was complete and in Luke chapter seventeen, the portion we read earlier. If you read from verse 26, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. If you look at what God is talking about there, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Meaning, Noah has entered the ark, seven days are going, they're all inside the ark and outside what is happening, Shadi is going on. And nobody has any clue that within seconds the door will be shut. If he's saying that, it is true. There is a huge wedding going on and as the wedding is going on, everybody is coming and congratulating the bride and the bridegroom, the rain starts. And nobody is aware. Absolutely, absolutely ordinary. There is nothing per se wrong with anything they are doing. Okay, and then if you look for, likewise I said to us in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. All this is good. But what happened? But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained, fire and brimstone. One it rained water, the other was fire. And if you look at what we saw earlier, and why was mankind destroyed? Because scripture says, no, it had corrected, corrupted its ways. And there was an entirely unprepared people. The purpose of God's be gathering together for the teaching of the word of God is that we are a prepared people and not an unprepared people. Noah's time, nobody knew. We also don't know when he will come. But look at the root of it. Where did it all start? Where does the problem actually lie in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5? And the Lord saw... That the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. So the root of the problem is what I call the processing center. That is our mind. The issue is with the mind. And the simple thing to know whether you are prepared or not is just look at your thoughts. Till you came here. How did the mind work today? Where was the mind? Whereas, what was our mind dwelling on, okay, what was the attitude of our spirit, on? of the thoughts our mind was dwelling on, okay. Honestly, when I watch pastors, okay, pastors, suddenly I realize there is an awakening. Pastors are realizing it is danger, danger is very close. But the problem is they are panicking. And you will see when they panic, they are powerful word and all. But I look at the preacher and I look at the congregation. You know what? The congregation is not getting it. Because the congregation is not able to get it because all these years you did not prepare them. So they took the word in their flesh and processed it completely different. Now you are trying to prepare them for the last days. They are not able to get it. They are not able to get it. That's exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 14. Scripture says over there, so the Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this set. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be choking. They did not understand the seriousness of the message. They did not understand the seriousness of the message. And you will see that constantly is happening around the world. We are not getting the seriousness of the message. Because your minds are so involved with the world. That is eating, drinking, marrying, building, studying, writing exams, career prospects. So completely, we are not getting the message. Not getting the message. We think God is joking. God says, I never joke. I use humor, but I don't joke about serious things. I don't joke. I don't joke. Okay. In Romans 12, <coughs> words 1 and 2, we know this scripture. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay. One of the first things God says is, the pleasing, acceptable, perfect will of God. All that is we have to understand, perceive, process it. But he says one of the first things is that do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. The world has its pattern. It has its own priorities. It has its thinking patterns. Okay. not I'm not saying the world per se thinks everything evil. No. That's what I said. Don't look from our point of view. We have to look from God's point of view. How does God look at it? says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed. Yet Romans, the same Romans eight twenty-nine, right? Says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that is too conforming. Don't be conformed to this, but be conformed to this. Don't be conformed to this. Do not be conformed to the world, but be conformed to the Word. Do not be conformed because of the way because when you go to the world, you are when you hear, read, study, all kinds of things. Because it's okay, you're going into the world. But don't be conformed to that. Be conformed to the word of God, that is. Because there is a pattern in the world, and there is a pattern in Christ. And in Romans 8, 5. Scripture says the carnal mind, which means a worldly mind okay when the minute the the when when we talk about flesh, okay those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. now when you talk about flesh immediately our thinking is so it's talking about murder and violence and sex no no flesh means anything that relates to the world. if your mind is the mind of the world. You will not be able to hear, or even if you hear, process. Because everybody heard, and you realize, everybody heard, they process it differently. Process it differently, because our processing that mind is so important. We should not be conformed to this way, we have to be conformed to another way. Because if you think different, then you will be different. Please understand this, we do not have the power to think different. Honestly, we do not have the power to think different. That is why it is important, like I said in the beginning, about the restraining grace. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. Before all those things, even he had spoken a word to Noah about building an ark or anything, God says something. He says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. One thing he says, okay, my spirit will stop struggling with you. It's okay. I'll let you go. The life source of a believer is the spirit of God and not your intellect. It's not your intellect. Our life source is the Spirit of God, not our intellect. Noah was, scripture says, a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. Lot, scripture says, was a righteous man. But what was happening in the midst of both their ministry, the Spirit of God was being withdrawn. In the midst of their ministry, therefore the words were of no effect. Now you read again Luke chapter 17 verse 27 28. The ate they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise as it was also in the days of Lot, the ate they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. In that there is per se no mention of any evil thing. But if you look at it, the kingdom of God is also absent. Kingdom of God is also absent. So, we are not talking about religion here. Religion doesn't save anybody. Any religion, including Christianity, doesn't really. We are talking about being connected to the Spirit of God. When he withdraws, you should be able to know. You see, I I came, originally, before I came to Christ, I came from the Catholic Church. Now, let us talk about the, I'm not talking about the Catholic Church, about the Catholic faith. The center of the Catholic faith is not Jerusalem. It's Italy, and it is Rome. That's where the Pope is, everything is there. So, one of the things which, when we go into like a big St. Joseph's Cathedral in Tivandrum, when we, as when we're young people, when you enter into the church, there are pillars and there are little like small chalices kept over there with holy water. Okay? So, you take that and you do that and you feel good. Okay? You feel good. Okay? I never did it, but I saw others doing it in Hollywood I did a couple of times, okay, and then you have these confessionals where you go to the priest and you confess, okay, and you feel good, then you have the mass, the priest, the whole thing, and you come out and you feel good. If you are in Italy today, all the chalices have been emptied, and people have been told not to touch anything, okay there is no confessional every church has been shut, and even the Pope is speaking online. If you have no internet, where is your religion? Where does your religion? There is a case where the husband and the wife has been separated because the husband has virus and the wife, the government says, cannot meet him. Where does your religion stand then to bring you comfort? And staring right in our eyes. Nobody has seen the Pope for days together because he is also called a cold cough and everything and nobody is saying it is not coronavirus. So if I had put my faith on the institution and not on the spirit of God, okay. So so let's say it spreads here. Today, I mean, if you looked at the last news before I came in uh, Germany, Angela Merkel saying before the virus goes around, 79% of Germany will be infected. So when infection goes like that, the government, whole of Italy has been quarantined. Nobody can go out, nobody can get in. It's like Jericho. Shut All of Italy has been quarantined. Nobody can get out anywhere. Stay in. And there is a lady crying out because under the rules her husband is dead and she's been sitting with the husband's dead body for the past 48 hours. She's not able to bury because the body cannot be taken out because government orders. My question is when that happens, nobody is able to meet, there is no internet shut down, everything. Do you have the faith to stand alone with God? God is speaking to us at a time shouting and says, Do you see all this? Are you receiving all this? Are you changing accordingly? Or it is it just again religion? So what you notice over there is you don't see God. And you don't see the kingdom of God. The prioritize you don't see. And if you Listen to messages that I've been preached for years together in churches, internet. I'm not talking about people or preachers. I'm talking about what they preach. Our job is not to judge people. Our job, God-given job, is to judge doctrine. So we don't say he's bad. We say his preaching is bad. Because preaching has to stand the test of God's word. And God has told us to judge preaching. He told us not to judge preachers. And all the preaching of all these years and all the churches was using the scripture to feed your flesh and the world in you. So what happens? When the world is crashing, nobody is standing up and holding up their heads and says, yay, this is what I was looking for. Not the crash of the world, but it is a sign that is coming. I was always prepared for that. No, everybody is depressed, discouraged. Where will my promotion come? When? What will happen? All that. Because we are not prepared for this. You are prepared for the world. You are not prepared for God. And the Holy Spirit no longer convicts people within churches of sin because you used supposedly the Holy Spirit to convince you how righteous you were. Confess, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what they made you do. All the, no, I'm not talking about our church. But most churches, that's what they did not use the Holy Spirit to convict the people of sin, but use the Holy Spirit in name to convince people how wonderful they are and how righteous they are. So the way we think is being manipulated. When the way you think is being manipulated, the way you feel also gets manipulated. I was looking for the board, but I didn't get the board. Let me give a simple example so that We understand honestly, all of us personally can, how complacent we can be. Jesus has put priorities very, very clear. He said, love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. And then to amplify it in other portions, he says, if any man loves anybody, even himself more than me, You are not. So he first he says, and then he amplifies it. Gives us very clearly: father, mother, wife, children, sons, daughters, everybody, including yourself. You are not. So he puts says, you need to put God first in your life. Then he brings the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you don't have that core factor very clear in your mind, and you're constantly trying to reorient your life around this. Then you won't understand the stuff which he tells you. He tells you fear not. Why does he tell you fear not? There are many reasons. But if you really, really know what is the spiritual reason why he says fear not. Because the minute I fear, I put myself first and not God. It's self first. Because you are fearing for yourself. And he says the minute you do that, you are falling from grace don't be angry why the big minute you are angry for unrighteous cause you are putting self first and God is out of the picture do not be offended because the minute you are offended it is your self that is getting offended your self has come in the front God has more of the picture God opposes the proud why because when the pride comes in it is self that comes in and God is out of the picture Unless you see it that way, we will only realize, oh, pride is a problem, it is common, we can tackle it as time goes. So God is saying, you don't get it. This is all a manifestation of the self. You need to be career-oriented, Gone. You're finished. Because you put yourself first. Okay. Fathers will say, Listen to me! No, listen to me as I listen to God. Husbands will say, Wives, listen to me! No, listen to me as I listen to God. The Bible is very clear about these things. It is not the father is put in the front or the husband is put in the front. It is God who is put in the front. Why? You are protecting yourself. And Noah lived in the midst of a very perverse generation. The scripture says every thought was wicked. And they had corrupted the ways of God. Thoughts moves two ways. Okay, you handle it here, you can handle it there. If you don't handle it here, you don't try to, try to handle it here, it is still irrelevant. It's still irrelevant. If you don't handle it here, it will pop out. So it has to be tackled here. In the midst of all that dark verses, verse 8 stands out. What does it say? But, but, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. But, in the middle of that, that's what should bring us comfort. In the middle of this dark forwarding, one man found grace in the sight of God. Now, like I said, God never gave Noah the exact day or the hour when the flood would come. God just gave him instructions how to keep himself safe from the flood. didn't tell him when it would come. In the same manner in Matthew 24, 36, Jesus has not given us. Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even in the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So if any angel, any person comes and says I had an angelic revelation, Gabriel came and told me 2021, remember, Jesus said even the angels don't know. But there are a lot of angelic people walking around saying Gabriel told them and Michael told them and Raphael told them and all that. All kind of this thing, no? I'm telling you, YouTube is full and don't even even laugh because if you look at their followers, they run into hundreds and thousands. That is the problem. A set of people who never knew their word, never spent their time understanding the word of God and the ways of God. When these angelic revelations come, they just go after them. That is the problem. You have to see their followers. You have to see if the followers, the number of people that listen to them. And that is the danger of a And Jesus said, nobody knows the day or hour. So like Noah did not know, we also don't know. Only Noah was given instructions to be prepared. And in Noah's time, Noah heard, and God spoke to them through Noah, but they ignored his words. Ultimately, the words they ignored was the very words that could have saved them. And what was the problem? Mark 8, Jesus tells, this is telling to his own disciples, okay? So we have to be careful. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Like I said, now you hear about coronavirus and we are worried about buying sanitizers. Right? That's what you call it, right? We are worried about buying masks. But God says, who can ascend up the holy hill of God? Did we worry about that? That this was a sign about this and not so much about the physical hands? And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, meaning beware of their doctrine. That doctrine will take you to hell. And immediately they are saying, you know, we didn't bring bread. Oh, that's why he's upset with us. He said, you know what? Having eyes you do not see, having ears you do not hear. I'm telling you one thing. You are understanding something because your flesh is connected to the world. Therefore, the very words of Jesus himself, they are not able to process. Able to pro- I tell in most churches in the world, Jesus himself were to come and preach from the people, they will process it completely differently because their minds and souls are yoked to the world and not to kingdom God's kingdom. That's our problem. Our minds have been completely manipulated by the world and our feelings and our emotions and we feel we are right because we never put God first. Never put God first. And if you put God first, immediately you are mocked within the churches around the world. Any church. You put God first, immediately they come after you. Don't be radical. Don't show off. You don't have to be like, you need to be balanced. Every man I've got in the Bible in the eyes of the world was unbalanced. Including Jesus. The most unbalanced man if you look in the eyes of the world who ever walked on earth was Jesus. But He heard every day of his life, he heard, you know, and that's what God is talking about. Floods are coming that will sweep away homes, career, health, finances. Floods are coming. What happened last week? Even today, it didn't go up much. Okay. Careers have been wiped off. 2.8 trillion dollars wiped out in one day, bloodbath on the stock market. One day Ambani is the richest man of Asia, next day he is second, why? Because another man's wealth went higher than his. Floods are coming, it's wiping away homes, it's wiping away careers, health, finances, because the enemy comes in like a flood. Look at Revelation 12 and see what God says. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. Who is the woman? The church, not in the world. The church, like a flood, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. If the woman was not carried away by the flood, that means the rest was. The rest was carried away by the flood. His flood of deception, a flood that destroys. It just carried them away. In Isaiah 59 and verse 19, we know this verse from memory, but this is the verse. So they shall fear, shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, when the enemy comes in like a flood, who will raise up the standard? The Spirit of the Lord. but how can we raise up a standard when God says my spirit will not contend with flesh? Too long. If he gave Noah's generation 120, do you think we get 120? People don't even leave till 100. By most of time you are up to 80, you are lucky. Lucky. How can we raise up a standard unless the spirit raises it up? And how can the Spirit raise it through us unless we hear? All those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. And if we hear, how can we raise up unless we understand? Oh, Spirit of God, what is Paul's prayer? Give me the Spirit of Revelation. Lord, I need to understand what you are saying. We cannot understand unless we are not conformed to the pattern of the world. And we are conformed by the pattern of Jesus Christ. So it's a direction. It's a choice you make each day. Each day you make this choice. Lord, you know what? Turning my GPS around. It's like the north pole, the compass always turns. You have to get up each day and say, Lord. I'm turning it back. Help me to put you first. It's a choice. So you have to see Noah as a survivor. And more than a survivor. He was a conqueror. You know in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there is a common theme. He who overcomes, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. So Noah heard, he received the instructions, and he built accordingly. And this book, is a set of instructions how to build our lives that can escape the judgment of God. It's a book full of instructions and when Noah heard he could understand and he could believe by faith. In Hebrews 11 and verse 7 the scripture we had looked, scripture says by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. So he had not seen you cannot understand something which you have not seen when I used to teach in the beginning nineteen eight late eighties with my kids in Bhutan. there were a lot of them who have never gone out of Bhutan in those days t v was banned nothing, no internet, nothing, no t v in Bhutan nothing so to explain to them what a train is like, and a train journey is like no because you no. Know, You are trying to tell something which is your regular experience and they have never got into one. Got into one. Got into one. But he understood something that was unseen by faith. Nobody had seen flood. Divinely warned of things unseen. Unseen. Divinely warned of things unseen. We are also divinely warned of things unseen. Today, of course, we have, we have, we see floods, we saw forest fire in most of Australia, and then California, we have seen. We have seen parts of it. Very vivid. Clearly seen. And scripture says, when he was divinely warned of these things, what do we have? We have fear. What does coronavirus create? Panic. Scripture says he, is, he was moved with godly fear, not fear. Fear will do what? Pick rations, buy mass and wash hands. Good. That you need to do that you don't get the disease. But godly fear is a different preparation altogether. Scripture says not he was moved by fear. Scripture says was moved by godly fear. That's the question when these things are happening. Is there godly fear? Godly fear leads to repentance. Is it godly fear? Your prayer life changes. And you are not praying for anybody first. You are praying for yourself. Realize, Lord, I see your coming is near. Lord, change me. Change my thoughts. Change my words. Change my acts. That's godly fear. Because you have started rebuilding. Yes, arise and build. And 2020, did not begin like any year we have seen in our recent lifetime. Then the question is, has godly fear come? Has things changed when you wake up in the morning? The first thing is, Lord, help me to put you first, Lord. Because you could come anytime. That's what scripture says, godly fear. In Philippians 2 and verse 12, Paul will tell us through the Holy Spirit, this is what we need. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. With what? Fear and trembling. So every sign causes that even more. Godly fear. It's not uh, carnal fear. Carnal fear, the problem is like 9-11. When 9-11 took place next week in America, churches were back. Next second Sunday, churches were packed. Third Sunday, were half empty. And after that, nobody went. That is carnal fear. The Bible is not talking about carnal fear. The Bible is talking about godly fear. And scripture says, in there, he built. He built. But when you are building, question God is asking is, what is your attitude? If you build with a godly fear, your building will not last. With godly fear, he built an ark for the saving of family. So there is an attitude and there is a construction. There is an attitude and there is a construction. I'll tell you this simple example in basic construction. When a man is constructing a house, And the contractor is constructing an house. So always a difference, okay. But men also have become the same now. What happens is they have a, they have calculated what they want and they calculated the budget. And then they look, go to the market and they realize how much is this cement? Okay, sack is uh, 350. I don't know what the price of cement is. Let's say 350. And this one, uh, this is 450. And this one, it's 550. Why is it so different? And the Bible will explain this is the quality. And you look at your budget and you go for 250. Okay. And then what happens? Six months later when the house is okay, crack starts carping. Why? Because it was a carnal fear. It was not a godly fear. That's what the Bible is talking about. He constructed. How did he construct? Look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, cover its inside and outside with pitch. Okay? Meaning, Noah was the one who was building, but the material was chosen by God. He couldn't use any wood. Material was chosen by God. means quality test, test to pass. We don't know what gopher wood is. We know what gopher is. We don't know what gopher wood is. (laughs) Okay. We don't know what gopher wood is. What wood is that? I know. Okay. By the way, gopher is in any other language. It doesn't mean English, gopher means if I'm right, it is a rabbit kind of a stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a squirrel, rabbit kind of a stuff, gopher. Okay, so we don't know what gopher wood is. But the material was chosen by God. If you read further, you don't have to read design was chosen by God. Dimensions were chosen by God. Material was chosen by God. Design was chosen by God. Dimensions were chosen by God. That's what I tell pastors. Pastors tell, don't long for somebody else's ministry. Let your, let your design be chosen by God. And dimensions of your ministry and church be decided by God. I want to be as big. No, you don't want to be. If That's not God's will for you. I always ask pastor, why do you need too much people? Can you carry them across? Can you really carry them across? Why do you want a stadium full of people when you can? You don't even know most of them, or 99% of them? Can you carry them across? If you have 50,000 people, divide it into 500 churches. Let each one handle a set of people whom he can teach and lead them across. That is the priority. Not showing to the world how big my church is, is to carry them across. Teach them consistently, prepare, prepare, prepare to carry them across. So the Material was chosen by God, design was chosen by God, and dimensions were chosen by God. So the question God is asking is, are we hearing from God how to build our lives? Because we each one has to hear, because my issue is not your issue. I may be struggling with one thing, you may be struggling with completely different thing. And if I come here from the pulpit to tell you about my struggles, it may not be beneficial to you. Only you hear from God what your struggles are and how you need to handle it. Though we have lived general it's common areas, but our areas are not the same. And God gave specific instructions to Noah. and We know that verse 14, pitch in and pitch out. Pitch inside, pitch means star, kind of tar, kind of a stuff. Okay, that's what pitch means over there. Cover it inside and outside with pitch, that is star. Okay, inside and outside. You know, our problem is with this, not with pitch outside. We like pitch outside. We don't like pitch inside. It has multiple layers of meaning. Okay, some things needs to be sealed inside. Things like character, integrity, righteousness, long-suffering, patience, holiness, all these things need to be sealed inside. Some things need to be sealed outside. You have to keep it out. Your fear, your doubt, your bitterness, your anger, your jealousy, your envy, all these things need to be sealed out. The other meaning is that we like the outside, we don't like the inside. We all want to be known as righteous and don't want to be righteous. We want to be known as a prayer warrior, but we don't want to actually pray. We want to be known as great preachers, but we don't want to be actual students of the word. We want to be known. That's a problem. You want pitch outside, we don't want pitch. Inside, we want a reputation before men. We don't want a reputation before God. And throughout, Jesus in this place, we will say, He is interested. He says, you don't worry about the outside. You worry about the inside first. When you pray, get into your secret place and pray. And then one day, I will put you outside. When you give, do it quietly. One day, I will reveal you. When you fast, do it quietly. One day in heaven before everybody, I will say, you know that the reason this nation changed is because she fasted. Huh? I thought I worked. So your work was irrelevant. She fasted. I will reveal. God told. That is why we know when Jesus is roughly coming, what are the events that will come, how it will happen, all these things, why do we know? Because one man called Daniel fasted. What man called Daniel? Fasted. How do we know the creation record? God created everything in the six days and the fall of man and the redemption. All gen- Because Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. See, these people have gone off tangent, have come up with this, which is called the book of Enoch. Now they're selling the book of Enoch. And the problem with the book of Enoch, a lot of things tally with scripture. The problem with the book of Enoch is this. If the book of Enoch was to be included in scripture, where does Enoch come? He comes in Genesis chapter 5. Right? How come Moses didn't see that? If Genesis 1, 2, 3, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 till 50 was written by Moses, and the book of Enoch, how, how come he didn't see? How come he didn't see? If it was a revelation by God, it would have been in the book of Jeannie, right? Genesis. You need to realize these are the things when we make our plans we make our all these things be very 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 clear do i have pitch inside or we only have pitch outside i want to be known as a good student and not actually be a good student we are trying to make you good students you know what a good student is a good student is when he's in class one he has learned it Class 2 has learned it. Class 2, he has learned what? What studying is. Not his subject. What studying is. So that when subject is changed, from robotics to scripture, from literature to the Bible, we are still able to study with the same passion because we are good students. This is something which you carry. Any career God chooses you doesn't matter you may be studying subjects that next time finally when you enter into life what god calls you to do may have nothing with what you studied but you're a good student able to learn it so fast because you have you were a student you were not pretending to be something okay that was joseph so it didn't matter where you put him in his father's house in as a slave or as a prisoner he was a good worker because so that was what he was that is what he was. Situation, circumstances did not matter to him because when the pressure came in, what was revealed was what was inside. Revealed was what was inside. And that's what God is talking about, pitch inside. Pitch inside. And you will see in Genesis six twenty-two and 7, 5, he did everything according to all the Lord commanded him. And you know how Paul will put it in the book of Romans, there is an obedience that comes from faith. Obedience that comes from He did everything. You heard, obeyed. Heard, obeyed. Is he seeing anything? Nothing. Nothing is happening. Now I'm going to take a tangent, okay? I'm going to change a... completely different tangent but it's not completely different because you cannot take a tangent in the bible and say it is completely different okay we'll go back to genesis chapter 6 so that we balance it very 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 carefully and you don't misinterpret scripture and the lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually the lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, which means righteous man, perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. We stick to verse 8 and 9. Okay. Got words, 8 and 9? Read carefully. That's what I said. When you read Bible carefully, you have to be very, Lord, 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 let me not even get it wrong in my mind what you are trying to say. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Did you see the order? But that's not how our mind is processing it. Our mind is processing it differently. Noah was a righteous man. He was perfect in his generation. He walked with God and therefore he found grace with God. No, grace comes first. Noah was also as like his generation. It was a supernatural intervention of God in Noah. That started the work. You know why you're all sitting here? Because you found grace in God's sight. And the grace of God How do you know you have found grace? It will ultimately lead to your righteousness, your blamelessness and your walk with God. If it does not lead into it, you have not found grace in God's sight. It doesn't begin with you. It begins with God. This is not Calvinism. This is Bible. This is how we read the Bible. This is how we need to know. This is the sovereignty of God, the secret things of God. We don't know why. We will not know how, but we will know. Moses couldn't understand all these things that was happening in his life, his judgment over his life, not allowed to enter into the promised land, but he said, all your ways are right. All your ways are right. I don't understand why all these things happen in my life, but I know one thing, nothing good can, wrong can come from you. I begin and end with the promise, you are good all the time. All the time, you are good. Look at Galatians chapter 1, 15 and 16, what Paul says. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Grace came and to reveal his son through me. He says, you are talking about my ministry. My ministry is the result of grace. It's the result of grace. Result of grace. In Romans 8, 29, the words we read, whom he foreknew. See, that's one thing God cannot help. He knows everything. <laughs> whom he foreknew. He foreknew who would be confirmed. He foreknew who would not be confirmed. Whom he foreknew. Paul stepped, sorry, God stepped uninvited into Paul's life on the road to Damascus. That's his sovereignty. The same way Paul's God stepped uninvited into Noah's life. And God stepped uninvited into Abraham's life. When our father Abraham was in the land of the Ur of Chaldeans, God spoke to him. That's God's sovereignty. That's it. So please remember To whom God has spoken. Very dangerous. You and I did nothing. He began it. There were hundreds of fishermen on the banks of shores of Galilee. He just picked four. Just picked four. Four. There were hundreds of tax collectors. He just picked one. And they didn't do anything. That's when in John chapter 15 and verse 16, God says, You did not choose me. I did not choose. him. Honestly, I didn't choose. him. None of us chose him. He chose us. This is the mystery of election. Once you know you are elected, guard it with all your life. Somebody asked a man of God, "How do you know you are elected?" He says, "When you are elected, you will know." (laughs) Because the Bible talks of God's elect. He says, "How will I know that I am God?" He says, "When you are elected, you will know." Till then, you will follow religion. Once you are elected, you follow Christ. That's how you will know. Does anybody have to tell Modi you are elected? He knows. Acts chapter nine and verse fifteen. The Lord said to him, "Go, for he is a chosen vessel." And Ananias is shocked. That man, chosen vessel, and that man doesn't know he's a chosen vessel. He still doesn't know he's a chosen vessel. And Ananias shocked. He probably, if he were told to speak, he would say, "Lord, if I were you, I wouldn't choose him as any vessel." <laughs> That's what he said, he's been killing Christians. But Ananias never questions God's choice, he just goes and does. And you will see Paul talking about in Acts chapter 2 verses 12 to 15, 14. 22, yeah. A certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there and came to me and stood and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour I looked up at him. And then he said, The God of your fathers has chosen you. You know, the first thing Saul of Tarsus hears as a Christian is, You have been chosen. You have been chosen. And then there is no question of election. You have been chosen. Do you know what Peter, in the epistle to Peter, when he introduces what he wanted the church, the Gentile churches to know, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. See, we can only preach, we cannot choose. It was the grace of God that had changed Noah. That is verse 8. And verse 9, he became a righteous man. Or a just man, a perfect man, in his generation, perfect there means blameless, and he walked with God. What came first? Grace. And grace made him into these things as time went, 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 further, further, further. He became more righteous and more blameless and more. He walked with God. That is why you see, in I made a factual error last Sunday in Genesis 8 verse 20. I said 14 animals, 14 animals, it was a mistake. But actually you took many animals from the clean. I looked at that number, 7, take 7 of each clean and I put 7 into 2, 14. That was a mistake. I thought about it. For sacrifice it took two pairs, but that's not the way it is. It says in verse chapter 8. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now this is what you have to look at. I mean, come on. Judgment is over. You are the overcomer. You came, you overcame. Meaning redemption is over. Judgment is over. Redemption is over. You have come out. You, the new creation is all yours. But why do you begin with an altar? Why do you begin with any sacrifice? Because you realize, you know why I made it? It's only because of the mercy and the grace of God and nothing else. Not that the people who died were worse than me. By the supernatural grace of God, He touched me and I became good. He touched me and I became good. It was not that I was good and He touched me. No, no. It was not I was good and He touched me. He touched me and I became good. In whose eyes? His eyes. We are trying to be good before people's eyes. That's our problem. We are not trying to be good before God's eyes. And ultimately you will realize only one man matters. It's God. What he says. You know? That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says. The 9 is powerful. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast if you are boasting then noah should have come and sons come out let's have a party let's have a blast we made it see my ark you know 120 years labor was not in vain it really good i did see did you see any crack come come check our ark do you see a drop inside look at the pitch right it's still there not even one piece broken excellent that's not what he says you know why i made it by your mercy, but that's how we look, and he say, "Look at my life. Do you know how many people, Doctor Richard may say, how many people are healed? Do you know?" <laughs> hmm? <laughs> he doesn't say. No, Papadha. And we'll count, or we don't realize it's just the mercy of God, and that because the very fact we got, why did He touch me and not another one? No, hmm? why? Sorry, why? I don't know. Do we know? that's why the Bible warns in Hebrews chapter 2 therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away if the word spoken through angels that is the law proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward How much, how shall we escape, we neglect so great a salvation those whom God has touched. Those whom God has touched. It's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. The very fact that we are sitting here listening to the word of God is an act of God. It's an act of God. And if we hear and go away and go away back to the world from where we came and became part of that same world, and we do not allow the word to dwell in us, then we did not hear. We are drifting away. We are drifting away. You know what Jesus says in John chapter 17, if you look at that three verses. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. How do we not become of the world when we are bang in the middle of the world? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. How was Noah right in the middle of that world and not part of the world? Because he allowed the word of God to sanctify him. He separated himself. Though he was right in the middle of the world, the work he did was different. The work he did was different. Everybody was building, but he was also building. Everybody was building, but his attitude of building was different. He was building with godly fear. So that's why we will always ask after the exams and all. We will ask you not what your marks will be. How did you do your exams? Did you copy? Did you take chits into the exam hall? Did you ask the one who was sitting on the left? Did you help the one who was sitting behind you? That's the question you need to ask. Not how good the answer was. That's not what is important. First, First important is, did you have godly fear in the way you did your work? Godly fear, what happens is godly fear is gone, godly fear. One of the first things to notice godly, really godly fear is see the conversation of people. See the works of people because God says every deed will come before him. You will be judged for the works you did in this body and you will be judged for every word. And godly fear immediately shuts your mouth of you don't talk too much very careful about what you say and what you don't say. You don't want to talk, talk, talk too much. And honestly, I don't talk other than behind the pulpit. After I am off the pulpit, I hardly talk. In 24 in a week of 7 days, I might talk 6 hours of which 3 hours is behind the pulpit. You understand stuff and you realize stuff and you realize, you know what, this is a very dangerous thing you are living very dangerous. It's not that you shouldn't talk. No, it's like Bambi's father telling Bambi, if you don't know how to talk right, don't talk at all. That's why I said in Genesis 6-9, true grace will lead to these three things. Noah was righteous, he was blameless, and he was, he walked with God. This is the account of Noah, so that you get an easier version. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. What is righteousness? 1 John 3, 7. But this is a constant question people ask. What is righteousness? Yeah. Which, Yeah. just be ready with the other ones. Got it? Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Please remember, this is not talking about the righteousness of the world, of religion or anything. He who practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. If almost every week I get this question about this confusion between righteousness and holiness. Who is righteous? God is righteous. I mean, every dealing of God is righteous. You see, this is the secret. That is why Moses asked this thing to God. Show me your ways. What is righteousness? It's the ways in which God th- does things. In the way in which God does things. And sometimes he will not, even Jesus' life, a religious man reads and looks at certain of Jesus' words, he may think he's not righteous. Think he's righteous. Think about which Brahminical heritage who has come through that or Muslim or whichever this thing. Here is a wedding at Kana and they have run out of wine and Mary comes and says, son, and Jesus says, woman, what has that got to do with me? Who will accept that as righteous? Take it as an insult. He's hanging on the cross, he's Burning with pain, everything and all the compassion as a son comes out and he says, son, this is your woman. How careful he was. He never said mother. Because if he had uttered one word in his ministry, mother, then Mary would have been the mother of mankind. They would have made it that way. Without that, they already made it. He was absolutely careful about what he says and he was righteous in God's eyes. righteous in God's eyes. These are the fundamentals we have to understand. Fundamentals we have to understand. Would you, would you consider Korah's sons righteous? We'll call it betrayal. Most religions would call it betrayal. This is exactly what Jesus said. If any man loves his wife or oh, family or himself more than me you cannot, a disciple is who is understanding the ways of God understanding the ways of God, this is the ways of God that comes by faith and faith alone and faith comes from hearing so we are not talking about earthly there are a lot of really righteous people in this world, we are not even talking about the righteousness because if that righteousness matters then they will all make it to heaven, God says no there is a righteousness that is apart from faith that is from God and God alone and it works, begins with salvation Begins with salvation. These are our struggles. Real, real struggles. No? Once you are saved, your struggle is understanding the righteousness of God. And Bible says, God showed him his ways. And not? And his deeds to the people. He never showed his ways to the people. Never showed. He was blameless in his generation. Was he blameless? Ephesians four. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in? Imagine Noah. Imagine Noah. Work has started. Building the ark. Nobody in his family has any clue what he is doing. Because God spoke to Noah. He didn't speak to Noah's wife. He didn't speak to his sons either. That's why we don't. Do you know Noah's wife's name? No. Why? You don't have to know her name. They were one in the work. Okay. Did she know? No. He was told. His sons were told. No, they were not told. But they worked as a unit over there. Now the sons are married. After a period they get married. So there are in-laws and out-laws and all these people are there. Family, uncles, cousins, nephews and this thing and Noah is building an ark and they call him for a party. He doesn't go. Is he blameless in their eyes? No. Is he blameless before God? Does his generation understand him? No. Does God understand him? Yes. Does his sons understand him? So this blamelessness is before God. That's why I am saying that. Can you live before God alone? Ultimately, because when the time comes, because we are seeing before our eyes, worship services shut down, everything shut down, one if the internet also crashes. If you are only used to listening messages online and never reading your Bible, then where do you go? When scripture says, he walked with now, when we read this term, what the problem is, how do you process it? How do you process it, honey? Oh, come, come, get it, get it. Okay. Let's go to MS 3.3. You know? okay. How did, oh, Enoch walked with God, Enoch walked with God. So nice, God, God looked at Enoch, Enoch. That's what we think, right? <laughs> yeah, MS 3.3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Every time you agree with God and obey, you are walking with Him. It is written, so shall it be in my life. you walking with God? Are you are you getting what 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 it means to agree to walk with God? you know, walked with God three hundred years. What a walk was it? He agreed with everything God said. He said, I have no opinion about this matter. that's what it means. Enoch, Jude will come around and say, Enoch, seventh from Adam has prophesied God will come with tens of thousands of saints to judge the godly, ungodly, with their ungodly. And when God told that, Enoch said, I agree with you, absolutely. They all need to die. I have no issues. I have no opinions about this matter, Lord. No opinion. I have no opinion. That's what it means to walk with God. I have no opinion about this. thing. I agree with you completely. Absolutely. 100% I agree. That's what Moses is saying at the end of his life. I agree with you completely. I am not talking about my sacrifice. Yes, I could have become the emperor of Egypt. I left it. I followed you. I was 40 years in the wilderness serving my father-in-law. 40 years in this wilderness taking care of these people. One mistake. Why? Yes, I agree with you. Absolutely. You are right. I shouldn't enter. You said I shouldn't enter. I shouldn't enter. I am good. I'm good with it. I agree with you completely. I deserve to be kept out. I agree. Why? Because I also understand your, your word. I represent the law, right? Law can't bring anybody into the promised land. Only grace can. And Joshua is grace, not me. He's Joshua. I am Moses. I brought the law. He represents grace. So he should take the honor, not me. I understand. All of history, all of eternity, I will be the example of law. He will be the example of grace. I'm okay with it. Though he was my junior. I'm fine. How we read scripture? How we understand scripture? How we meditate on scripture? The key is this. Put God first. Not you second, you dead. God first. Don't put yourself second. It won't work. God put first. Put God second. Put God third. And read your Bible. It will start speaking to you. It will start making sense to you. Okay. Okay. And everything, science will become interesting, physics will become interesting, English, math, everything will become interesting because God is first. And you are not afraid whether you pass or fail. You are not afraid whether you pass or fail because those who follow God never fails. Never fails. I am not talking about your result. I am talking about how God looks at your life. Joseph was never a failure. He was always successful. People called him a Hebrew slave. He was successful. They called him a prisoner. He was successful. He never failed. We'll see life completely different through the prism of God's eyes. Okay, shall we pray? Father, we just thank you once again this evening, Lord. In spite of all that is happening, you enabled us to come into your house. Enabled us to listen to your word. And Father, I pray the young children over here, Lord, like Daniel, like Joseph, like David, let them start right, early in life, Lord. Let them put God first. God first. Because they have found favor, grace in your sight. Very early, Lord. Much earlier than of us who preach. They found grace early, Lord. Favor with God. And let them now learn to hear, to obey And to be found blameless in your sight, Lord. Your sight each day, one day at a time. Blameless. Just. And walk with you. Let them build their lives. That will stand the test of fire. That's all we pray, Father. Speak to us daily. We need to hear from you about ourselves. So that we build a life that is fireproof, Lord. Thank you, Father. Noah found grace. We thank you, Father. We have found mercy and grace in your sight. It's nothing of who we are. It's who you are, Lord. All we can offer you is that sacrifice of praise continuously, Lord, and say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to the Lamb of God forever and ever. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Come with the rest of the night into the hands, O Lord. Thank you, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.